Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Rotor Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. And we are back to build up to our next fixture at Swansea City this weekend. And to do this, we have the pleasure of being in the company of a striker who turned out for both clubs. And in fact, he played for our opponents in midweek, which was Blackpool, and our opponents last week when we travelled to Watford, and the week before that when we went down the road to the Riverside. And if that's not all, he also turned out for our opponents in a couple of weeks' time when we travelled to Ewood Park. Oh, so for dear. those who are still guessing, <laughs> today we are very pleased to be speaking to Danny Graham. Hello, Danny. Hello, mate. Nice to nice to see you. And thanks for reminding me I was a bit of a journeyman as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was brilliant. It was brilliant looking through it. So how are you keeping? Yeah, very well, thank you. Obviously, adjusting to life, not as a professional footballer, Um you know, which was which was hard at times, mate. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think, uh, you know, the day-to-day stuff, the routine and everything sort of laid out for you. And then also you're in the dressing room with, with 25 lads and staff and you come away from that and it's a, it's a bit of a lonely place for a while. But, you know, things are things are a lot easier now. I've adapted well to it. Um, it probably took a few months to do that, but uh, everything's on you up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. You, you do hear that. You know, we we talk to players quite a lot, and that 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 transition. I think uh, you know that there's more can be done about that. I think from kind of the the kind of from the FA or the PFA's yeah. point of view and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but I mean, uh, you know, talking about kind of having your Saturday afternoons back. I mean, but does that just end up being? I mean, we were talking earlier about taxiing kids around and all that sort of stuff. It just gets gobbled up, doesn't it? <laughs> it does get gobbled up. But listen, whenever there's games on, I'll make sure I'm watching them. I'm a massive football fan. I always will be. I love watching games. I love going around the grounds and, and soaking up the atmosphere, even though, you know, I'm a, I'm on the different side of the fence nowadays. But like I say, it's something I'll always do is, is go and watch football and it'll always be part of my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mentioned during that introduction. I mean, you know, you know, all of those clubs, and I actually took a a quick look, and we take on six of your former clubs in the championship this season. <laughs> um, so, but I imagine you have to kind of sit on the fence a fair bit this season when all these clubs are facing each other. Yeah, listen. Um, everyone says, "Oh, the word journeyman gets mentioned a lot." Um, I kind of try and look at it a different way. I was wanted by a lot of different managers at different clubs and you know different cultures and meeting different people and 
if I had my career, would I, would I do it exactly the same? Yeah, probably would. I was never scared of, of moving if I had to to go and play regular football. And, you know, I think you can tell by that with, with the amount of games I've played throughout my career. You know, obviously you've mentioned your career there and, and I'm looking, you know, I'm looking forward to getting your insight into the kind of game at the weekend, but it'd be criminal yeah. not to talk about that career you had because um, obviously, you know, as you said, I mean, great career spanning 17 years, 174 goals in just over 600 appearances. Um, it all started at Middlesbrough in the early kind of 2000s. Yeah. And I, I mean, when you think about that that time at Middlesbrough as well, the amount of players who came through the ranks over over those years. I mean, I think Stuart Downing was kind of a little bit before yeah. you, David Wheater, I think Lee Catmull was a bit after, yeah. yourself came through, quite a few others. So was it a good place to come through at that time? Yeah, it was an incredible place. Uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, I come into, the, into Middlesbrough as a, halfway through second year YTS at the time. I was playing Northern League for Chesley Street and, you know, going on trial here, there and everywhere. So to finally get that chance in the professional game was great. You know, Middlesbrough was probably the perfect fit for me in, in that sort of sense because the players you've mentioned, you know, there was a conveyor belt of, of young lads coming through who were born in the northeast region and it, it was great to be part of, like, the list could go on. You've got Ross Turnbull, Tony McMahon, Andrew Taylor. Like you say, Wheatley, Catamall, the list is endless. Chris Brunt was there. Not not many people knew that. So, yeah, it was a great place to be at and very fond memories of my time at Middlesbrough as a, as a young lad coming through. It's funny you, you said uh, you said YTS and I know... You know, on a, on a few pods, I've mentioned schools of excellence. I think probably yeah. the younger people now think we're speaking a different language. Or yeah, like they will, that. yeah. It's all changed. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Um, I mean, in those early years as well, you know, obviously you were coming through and you did break through at Middlesbrough. I mean, you kind of made your debut quite early, but but you had lots of loan moves. You know, there was loan moves to Darlington, Derby, Leeds, Blackpool and Carlisle United, where you ended up moving yeah. to permanently. But but I mean, how how important was it for you to go out and get that experience? Because, you know, looking at some young players now, some of them don't seem to go out and kind of try and get that experience. They're quite happy to just sit at their clubs. Yeah, that's that's probably one of my biggest pet hates at the minute about the about the game. Clubs and players feel as though it's best, you know, the state the, at their football club for, the, for their development. Well, to be honest, if you look at the 23s or the under-21s, which has gone back to now, is you're playing people your own age, apart from maybe two or three who are, going to be 22 23 you will be playing in that to get game time so i think loans are massive i had some horrendous loans with leeds and derby where you know i wasn't very successful at all but I, I, you know looking back did that stand me in good stead i think it did you know scoring 20 odd goals in 20 games for the under 19s at the time and then going into men's football and finding completely different i think helped me and then you know, I went to Blackpool, like you say, I didn't end up long there. And then you, you sort of find a club that fits and that, that was Carlisle United. And I think I went there and scored seven, 11 games and felt as though, you know, at 20, 21 year old, that was the right move for me to go and play first team football week in, week out. Yeah, was was that a tough one though? Because I mean, I know you obviously would have wanted a breakthrough at Middlesbrough and become the permanent kind of in the starting 11. But was that an easy decision to make to get first team football? I think it was, yes. Uh, if you look at the players who were ahead of me, Viduka, Hasselbank, Kikubu, you know, <laughs> a, a young 20-year-old from Gator, you know, at the time is no one yet good enough to dislodge that sort of player. So I had it in my mind after the Carlisle loan move, I wanted to make it permanent with the goal set in my mind that I want to get back up and, and play at the highest level again. And that's what I had in the back of my mind and that's what I wanted to achieve and, and that's what drove me on, to be honest. 
I mean, you, you talk about that drive because obviously you, you went to Carlisle, you ended up top scorer, or I think joint top scorer for a couple of seasons. But I mean, that drive, obviously, because that gave you the platform to start going back up the leagues. I mean, was that the drive to think, well, you've been there because you played in the Premier League with Middlesbrough, yeah, yeah. but that, that was the aim to get back there? Yeah, of course, that was that was 100% the drive. You, you you go to Rockcliffe and you see the facilities. The, the same with all the North East clubs, the, the training grounds and everything is... You know, you don't want for nothing. Everything's there. You get your food, your clothes, or what? Yeah, your training kits washed um, every day, and your boots are cleaned. And you know, for me, it was great to have the other side of that. And no disrespect to Carlisle, I, I absolutely loved my time up there. But it was a different culture. Taking your own kits home to get washed, and you know, I think that helped me sort of realize that. I wanted to get back to the top, you know, at least the championship as soon as I could. So that's kind of stood me in good uh, stead moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, you know, you see it now quite quite a lot in the England squad. A lot of players who either made a lot of lone moves down in the lower leagues or made moves down to the lower leagues and, and came up a, a bit like you did. I mean, do you think actually that that almost makes you a little bit tougher that you haven't ha- always had, you know, that, that support that you were talking about there, that actually you go down at the bottom, you play that, probably a tougher style of football and, and kind of come back up. Yeah, I think if I think if you look at like you say, the England squad now is there's so many lads in that squad who are superstars now, but Harry Kane spring to mind, got to Leighton Orient. He was on the bench for Leicester in the playoffs when they got beat off Wofford and you know, all that all them sort of experiences can be great for a young player at the time. Although it mightn't feel like that. Later on you'll look back and you'll go, Do you know what? That that's probably uh, the kick up the backside I needed. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I, I couldn't strongly advise players enough now if, if the opportunity is to go and play men's football, go and do it. Yeah, and I, I mean, actually, the one that springs to mind from a Sunderland point of view is Jordan Pickford because I think he had yeah. about 10, 15 loans or something. <laughs> he was all over the place before he actually broke through. But I mean, obviously it did because you, you did so well at Carlisle and um, Watford ended up knocking on the door in 2009 and, uh, you know, I mean, what you did at Watford, I mean, championship top scorer, PFA team of the year, Watford player of the season. I mean, it must have been a cracking time, you know, stepping up to, to Watford from Carlisle and doing what you did there. Yeah, it was great. But a lot of people won't know that the first year I went there, I started off like a house on fire, done really well. Couple of Christmas period, had a dip in form, found myself out of the team. Uh, Heide Helgerson come back, who was a Watford legend at the time and, he was playing well, scoring goals, and you know, I could have sat around and moped, but I kind of watched Hayder. Uh, he was an experienced centre forward. He knew how to f- find him, position himself in between the the right fullback, right centre half, and you know, just watching him hold the ball up, the way he headed the ball, it was probably a great le- learning curve for me. That two or three months I was out the team, and then come the next season, trying to emulate what he done worked in my favour, and I went on to have a fantastic season. Well, that's it. I mean, because you, you were still only kind of, you, well, you were still kind of early tw- 20s, yeah. 23, 24, yeah. something like that. I mean, but the, once you started flying at Watford, I mean, you must have thought, right, well, I'm kind of, I'm back in the, the, you know, the top two tiers and doing what you did. I mean, I think it was what, I mean, in your second season, 2010-11, I mean, 24 goals. I mean, you, you were, I mean, would you say that's kind of the best period of your career? Yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, it was great. Um, I was scoring goals. Um. You know, I was on 27 goals with six games. to. I had 27 goals in all competitions with six games to go. And I remember finishing that season disappointed I didn't get to the 30 mark. Um, but yeah, at, at that time, I, I knew there was interest in January. 
I didn't want to leave. I wanted to see the season out at Watford because we were very close to the playoffs uh, positions at that time. And I felt as though it was the right thing to do was stay at Watford and, and have another a good four or five months behind me uh, before hopefully moving on to the Premier League. And it, that, that kind of that's kind of the way it panned out. You know, we filtered away a bit. Our squad wasn't big enough, but it was a great season personally. And then, you know, you just, fingers crossed, you're hoping that the, one of the Premier League clubs come calling, which they didn't. You know, I was delighted with that. Yeah, yeah. And just on a side note, I, I always remember around this time you were you were a cracking signing on Football Manager. Um, <laughs> I, I did sign you quite a few times around around that time. But uh, but yeah, but like you said, the bids started coming in, and I think yeah. uh, obviously event, eventually um, it was kind of Swansea City who who kind of just been promoted to mm. the Premier League under Brendan Rodgers. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what other clubs came in, but obviously, you know, it seems like on paper it's a no-brainer because you know, they give you the opportunity of play, like stepping up to the Premier League again because, I mean, that must have been special as well because starting off there with Middlesbrough coming down yeah. and taking you five or six years to get back up. I mean, that, that must have felt good to get back there. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable feeling. I remember I met uh, Neil Warnock at QPR, Roy Hodgson at West Bromwich Albion and then Brendan Rodgers the day after the playoff final when they beat Redden 4-2, I think it was, or 4-3, whatever the game finished. And within about 10 minutes, I remember just looking at the agent at the time to say, yeah, this is where I want to be. That, You know, the way he spoke, the way he conducted himself, the way he wanted to play football, everything just seemed perfect. And, you know, Brendan tried to sign me two years prior when he was at Wofford, but then took off to Redden. So it was it was something I was aware of that he'd wanted me for a number of years. So that also helped, uh, you know, when I come to make me decision. But that, that, that it sounds, you know, when you just say it kind of off the cuff, but it, it sounds, <laughs> I wouldn't really know what to do or where to look when you've got these personalities like mm-hmm. Roy Hodgson, like um, like Neil Warnock, because I imagine those two are persuasive, <laughs> persuasive as well, trying to get you to sign for them. Yeah, well, to be honest, it was probably one of them. I, I had the QPR meeting first and, you know, I was obviously favouring that move uh, at that time. And then quickly after that, I had the meeting with Roy Hodgson. And again, I felt that sort of, that feeling again. But, you know, no disrespect to them two who were great managers and had an unbelievable careers, uh, you know, managing at the highest level. It was a it was something new with Brendan. He was a young coach. Uh, he wanted to, to play in a certain way the way he spoke about players and I just got that feeling he kind of knew everything about everyone, even whether that's families or whatever it was. I just, I just got a different sort of feel off Brendan and, you know, I'm delighted that I made that choice in the end. Yeah. I, I, well, just quickly on Brendan Rodgers, because, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've heard comments from people like kind of Jamie Carragher and people like that who've said that Brendan Rodgers was kind of the most hands-on manager they've ever had in terms of, his input on the training ground. Yeah. I mean, what was your experience playing under Brendan Rodgers? Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, little things, even even though I played a lot that, that first season under Brendan, you know, I always remember if we were in on a Sunday doing a cool down, he would be outside doing training with the subs who didn't get on. And just little things like that, you don't really see a lot of managers will send their assistants out on a Sunday or, you know, whoever, whoever it is, if it's a 21s coach and there's a few young lads in, they let them crack on and, Brendan was was so methodical. He was there. He cared, and you know he just had this great persona about him. Which even if you weren't playing, you still felt part of the squad. And I think that was a massive asset he had. 
yeah yeah and but and, and as we said i mean that that kind of journey back up you you were you were back in the premier league mm. and you you can't, like you said you, you played briefly when when you were young with with middlesbrough but because you'd gone down and back up the leagues what was that step up to the premier league like how how did you find that uh tough at the start i think uh, it was probably four or five games you know i think as a team as well we we didn't get off to a great start but it was it was a belief that Brendan Shaw and every one of us, you know, keep playing the way we're playing, stick to the same philosophy. Once you get one win, you'll get, a, you know, you'll put a run together, and and that's exactly how it worked. It was like almost like you knew what was going to happen, which was which was a mad feeling to have. But you know, we we beat Stoke at home two nil. I managed to get my first goal, and and then the goal started to flow quite freely after that. And the team was, you know, every week I felt as though we were sort of raising our confidence levels and you know and by the time we come to January I remember we played Arsenal at home and you know it was probably one of the, the best games I've, I've played in the Premier League where you know Arsenal were renowned for a passing team but we really did keep the ball off them uh, exceptionally well that night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's it's funny you hear when when some people talk about playing in the Premier League and they've played in the Championship or whatever. Mm. Some people say, "Oh, yeah, it's so much faster," and then you hear some people or some Bex players say, "Oh, well, it's strange because you get more time on the ball and you're not yeah, sure you what do, to yeah. do with it." I mean, so yeah. is there that kind of difference where it's quicker but you feel like you've got more time? Is it a bit? Yeah, it, it 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 is not feeling. Yeah, but the way. Another reason in the be choosing Swansea was because of the way they kept the ball. I did honestly think that would was suited for the Premier League, and that kind of showed in certain games. But the biggest thing I found in the Premier League was if you make one mistake, nine times out of ten you get punished. You do that in the Championship, you know that number comes down, yeah. and that's why you know a lot of the play the the world class players are, you know, paid X amount of money because. They really do punish you and hurt you when you make it. It's almost like they're waiting for you to make make a mistake, and they'll punish you. And you know that when you're on top in the game, and you know all of a sudden you flick a switch and you're one nil down, it it can deflate you. Yeah, uh, I mean, and and you'd been at Swansea for about a year and a half, and there was that change of manager. Michael Loudrop came in. He had different ideas, and then obviously January twenty twelve. That was when Martin O'Neill came in. He persuaded Swansea mm. to accept a fight about around five million pound bid and persuaded you to to move back north. But I mean that that move. I mean, was it all a bit odd in terms? Because how you know in terms of how it played out? Because for a start, you know, you got a lot of stick when we played Swansea a few days before the before it was a the night move before. happened. It was a night before, yeah. Mm. And, then, and then, you know, there was a last-ditch bid from uh, Tony Mowbray who tried to take you to Middlesbrough. And then, obviously, there was the whole focus around you kind of growing up supporting Newcastle. Mm. But, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this was one of the most stressful moves that you made in your career with all those things going on. Do you know what? It actually wasn't. Uh, I'd spoke to Martin O'Neill two or three occasions before uh, the move come about and... It didn't. It didn't. It wasn't a hard decision at all. It really wasn't. Um, I remember I was in Jesmond doing my medical, literally walking in for me, for me scans and my knees and hips and everything like that, and getting a phone call off um, Ron Bourne at Middlesbrough saying we've had a bid accepted of five point five million. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? So, you know, that was. I just said, Ron, listen, mate. Um, I've made my mind up. I want to go to Sunderland. I'm going in for my medical now. You know, that's the end of that one. 
but there was a lot made of it. Yes, course there was, but in the back of my mind, it didn't phase me. I was ready to come back to the northeast. I wanted, I wanted that to happen, and you know, eventually we got the deal done. Uh, I remember the game was the night before. I'm sure it was the night before we played, and it was on Sky, and the cameras were following me around, and I was thinking, what has gone on here? That was that was probably the strangest bit for me. And then I remember coming on and I was meant to start that game. We were in the hotel in Gosforth. Michael Aldo picked the team and everyone left and I went, I ain't playing. I said, my mind's made up. I'm going to Sunderland. I said, I've told you this all window. And I hadn't started a lot before that. And then all of a sudden this game, he tried to throw me in. And I was like, no, no, that's not happening. And he went, right, well, I'm going to have to put you on the bench. I won't bring you on. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of hype around with the media and stuff because obviously circulating that there was bids going in. And then he put me on. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, that was kind of surreal. But the move itself, that was some, it was something I wanted. Like I said, I had a conversation with Martin only prior to that. So it didn't really faze me about going up there. Mm. That Middlesbrough move, though, it must have tugged at your heartstrings a little bit, obviously starting off there and thinking, go, you know, if I go around full circle. Yeah, it did. Listen, it really did. But... Middlesbrough weren't in the Premier League at the time and I wanted to play in the Premier League and, you know, who who doesn't want to play in the Premier League? You know, in football, everyone goes on about, well, you should be loyal to Middlesbrough because, you know, they give you the chance in the game and, you know, let's be honest, it doesn't work like that. Uh, It doesn't work from the club side of it and it doesn't work from the player side of it and that's just being brutally honest. Obviously, I, I didn't think about it too long, no, but with it being Middlesbrough, yeah, I probably thought about it a minute or two more than I should have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned obviously it was it was Martin O'Neill. I mean, we all know what kind of a character Martin O'Neill is. I mean, you said you were so comfortable with the move. I mean, was mm. he part of that? Yeah, hundred percent. He was part of that. I think he'd done his homework and obviously he knew the background and and stuff like that. Yeah, he was massive uh, in terms of the way he conducted himself, the way he spoke to me, and you know the plans were sort of set out. Fletcher was there at the time as well, and it was going to be a partnership and. Before you know it, he's gone. Well, yeah, because actually, I mean, because I mean, talking about Martin O'Neill's character, he's probably, you know, the probably the last manager around, you know, from those who played under Brian yeah. Clough when Cluffy was at his pomp and he had that yeah. kind of edge about him. But I mean, I know you'd like you said it wasn't for long, but not only a handful of players out there have played for Martin O'Neill. So what 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 was he like around the place? He was he was very bubbly. Training was very good. He was great with the lads. His man management was very good. You know, if, if the lads were doing well, he would he would, he would look after you with days off. But then, on the flip side of that, if you had a few days off, you know for a fact you are you were in for a tough couple of days straight away when you come back. He, he just knew he knew how to handle a dressing room full of big play. I'm I'm not saying I'm a big player, but like you had your John O'Shea's and everything like that there before me, Fletchers and and players like that. And he he just had a way of dealing with them and. You know, I just wish it had worked out differently and he, he'd stayed longer than he did because everyone knows what comes next. Yeah, well, I mean, when you when you came in, because we were on a bad run when you joined, we were in the middle of a bad run, I think. And then, you know, I think um, I think the first seven, I think the, the seven games that you were there, I don't think we got a win in those because I think it had started before kind of you joined the club. But did you feel as you joined? Did you feel the mood around the place that things were kind of starting to slide, or or was the place still bubbly when you joined? No, it was still bubbly. No, the good thing about Sunderland at the time there was a lot of there was a big British core of players there. You know, obviously Simon Mingley was the the goalkeeper at the time, but you had John O'Shea, Wes Brown, Titus Bramble, Phil Bosley, Lee Catamall. 
the list goes on. Stephen Fletcher, uh, Seb Lawson, even though he's Swedish, had played over here for 10 years or so prior to that. So the dressing room was always a, a good place and everyone might think, oh, well, how is it a good place? Because we're getting beaten X, Y, and Z. Yeah, we knew we were getting beaten. We weren't picking up the results, but we knew if we turned against one another, then that slide probably would have happened three or four years before eventually getting relegated. So I do feel as all the dressing room was massive in Sunderland staying up, whether that was with Advocat, De Canio, the first, mm. uh, when Martin left, or Poye. If you look at that squad, there was still a big core of English players around there, and that's what kept Sunderland up probably two or three years more than they should have, in my in my personal yeah. opinion. And listen, I was yeah. I was devastated when they did go down. Yeah. Um, from what you said about O'Neill, though, was that a big blow to everyone when he, when he was actually yeah. sacked? Yeah, it was a big blow, yeah. I think it was massively a big blow. And if you... Yes, listen, Decanio kept us up, but that could have easily been Martin O'Neill. And then there could have been a build from the season, keeping us up to the next season moving forward. But then it's just... Then it become a bit of a... A show really. There was manager after manager, and mm. it was it was it was hard, mate. It was it was really hard to, uh, to watch and be involved in. And probably towards the time where I was leaving Sunderland, it was almost like the relegation was going to happen, which was sad to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously at this point we do get on to the appointment of Paolo De Canio, which for a fan, I mean, even for a fan, it wasn't their day to day. It's hands down the strangest period in terms of following Sunderland. But, I mean, was it just as strange for a player? Yeah, it was strange. And he was... He was a nightmare, to be honest. I'm, I'm not going to lie about it. He was a nightmare, <laughs> mate. He was, he was... He had this power trip about him. I remember him arguing with Conor Wickham probably two or three days in when he when he missed a header. And from there, everyone's just sort of like, what, what's he doing? Do you know what I mean? There was... It was kind of a build-up of little things, and yeah, it was it was just a disaster, really. And listen, he he kept us up. Do I think he kept us up? No, I don't think he kept us up. I think the players kept the, the football club in the league, and then his knee sliding at New, uh, Newcastle away, and you know, and for me, he knew what he was doing. He knew if we win that game, and he sort of does something, the fans will be on his side, and it'll give him a, a, a bit of bit of breathing space, but. Mate, there was no days off in 36, 37 days. We beat, <laughs> we beat Everton at home, 1-0. Then we got a Newcastle away, pumped them 3-0. Normal football clubs are off Sunday, Wednesday, regarding on the fixtures. We were in every single day. I lost count after 35. It must have been thir- in between 35 and 40 days. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was something we'd never seen before. And... Again, it was a power trip. That's what he wanted to do as a footballer. That was how he thought, you know, f- football club should be run. And yeah, uh, everything mate. There was, we went to Italy. There was, there was no menu. It was exactly what he wanted you to eat. There was no ketchups. There was, there was no nothing, mate. There was, yeah. See, after that Italy preseason trip, I went on loan to Hull, and we must have signed about thirty-four foreign players. And you could tell it was going to be a long season. You could just tell it was going to be a long, tough season, especially with him in charge. Yeah. Well, just going back, because you, you mentioned that mm. day at St. James's, which was obviously a crazy day in, in so many ways. But because mm. um, you you started and you played the full game that day. I mean, so that must have been that must have been, you know, crazy for you. But from the outside, that performance 
just came, you know, seemed to come out of nowhere because we were on such a bad run, and and suddenly we go to St James's and you know kind of wipe the floor with them three nil really, and then you had you had all those celebrations like you say with the Canio, but from what you said there, it seemed like that performance came out of the players' frustration rather than anything the Canio did. Hundred percent, yeah, and uh, I think. Even before that, we we beat Newcastle a few times before that. Before I joined us, that right? I think there was so, a couple yeah. of but, there was a couple of wins before that, and beating them for so many years, I can't really remember yeah, now. To be honest, we, we kind of knew that the Everton game where we won one nil and we were probably backs against the wall for the last twenty twenty five minutes, leading into the Newcastle game was a perfect timing because we knew going to St James's Park, their fans would be on edge because they hadn't won in a, a few derby games already, and personally. I thought that was probably one of my best performances for Sunderland without scoring, obviously, which, you know, everyone knows it, it didn't go well with the scoring record there. But, you know, I feel as though I should have had a penalty early on when Taylor's pulled me down. But that was definitely more the players. It was nothing to do with the Canio. His speech before the game was erratic. It was it was nonsense. You know, it was... Listen, I, I ain't going to hide it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm out of the game because I can actually speak about it now without getting a fine or whatever. It had nothing to do with him. He would ramble on about rubbish and talk about himself. And, you know, even when we won the game, it was all about him. Mm. And, you know, we, we by that point, you're just kind of like, right, okay, no problem. And, you know, we'll kind of, when we go out on the pitch, we'll, we'll do it for ourselves more than we do it for you. Well, like you say, I mean, we had that great result against Newcastle, good result mm. against Everton. But I, I I was at Villa Park when I think we got thumped 6-1, I think, or 6-1, yeah, yeah. I think it was. But yeah. so, so I mean, did those because those two results basically kind of kept us up? I mean, was that masking a lot of what was happening at the time? I was masking a hell of a lot, yeah, 100%. It was, um, you know, but when you're at a football club, you you can't come out and say, oh, well, <laughs> you know, the, the players in the dressing room would, you know, aren't, don't get on with the manager, don't believe in the way he speaks to players, don't believe the way he's, you know, he tells you what to eat and stuff like that. We players in there have won Champions Leagues and mm. Premier League medals, and you're telling me that. John O'Shea and Wes Brown having their pasta and tomato ketchup before <laughs> and won the Premier League and you were uh, for Champions League. Yeah. No, come on. It was, it was Everything was revolved around him and it was a ticking time bomb from way earlier than anyone could imagine. Way earlier. I mean, t- talking about being early, I mean, I think it was early July, uh, which is kind of fairly early in pre-season when you, went, you made the move to Hull. I mean, but from your point of view at that point, was it was a kind of a relief. To, to get away because you you knew what was going on. I was buzzing. <laughs> I, I was oh no, honestly, mate. I'm, I I ain't yet lie. Listen, I respect Sunderland Football Club. I still go mm. to games. I still go to the academy to watch the young lads. Now, I've got nothing against Sunderland Football Club. And everyone goes, oh well, yeah, you were you were this, you were that when I was at the club. Yes, I was, but I did give it one hundred and ten percent. The move did not work out. That is, I can stand here and hold my hands up now and go, it didn't work out. But that doesn't mean I have anything against the football club at all. Far from it. But when I got the phone call, we were in Italy on pre-season tour. Altador come in, Cabral, uh, Valentin Roberge, Diacate was sent off. Yeah. Uh, there was just an influx of unproven players. And I got the phone call off Steve Bruce when I was in the room. And I was in the room with, oh, David Morberg, Colson. Colson, remember him? Yeah. I was, in, I was in the room and I got, I got a phone call. It was probably day six of seven. Steve Bruce went, uh, Sunderland have accepted a loan bid. You're flying home now. Uh, you're flying back from Italy now. See, right? No problem. That was it. Just <laughs> didn't go and see the manager. I went round to every single room to see the lads. Said, listen, they've accepted a loan bid for me from Hull. 
obviously I'm not got, I'm not part of the plans. That's fine. Good luck. I flew from Italy <laughs> to Paris, Paris, back to Newcastle, and then I had to come down to the Academy of Light, sign some forms, go back to Newcastle Airport, fly up to Portugal for whole pre-season, just like that, it's, gone. It's incredible because it's only it's only what a matter of what six months or something. You've signed mm-hmm. for five million, but nobody yeah. nobody nobody even speaks to you when you you go out and loan for for a season. No, I didn't didn't hear anything didn't hear anything from the football club when I was away. Listen, not that I wanted to. I'm, mm. I, you know, I don't want everyone to check up, but like literally nothing, not a peep out of anyone. Obviously, I would still speak to the lads and still be in the group and everything like that. But yeah, nothing from the football club. No. Well, I think I think it tell, tells you a lot about how the, how the club were were at that time and yeah, you did at keep, that time, yeah, yeah, and you you did keep kind of coming back and then go back on loan and and like you said, the managerial office was like a revolving door, you know, Gus yeah. Poyer, Dick Avocat, and then kind of Sam Allardyce at the end. I mean, but you know, Gus talking about Gus Poyer, Dick Avocat, mm. Sam Allardyce. I know Sam Allardyce left for different reasons, but you know, Dick Avocat, you know, big big success elsewhere. I mean, because of these, you know, characters that we had at, at the club. I mean, there must a lot's been said since, but uh, people do say that something else must have been happening at the club because all of these managers weren't bad managers, and you know, there must have been something else. What why they couldn't succeed at Sunderland? Upstairs, I personally think it was upstairs at the football club was rotten. Uh, too many rash decisions made. You know, no logic behind it really. Sack someone, right? Or oh, who can we get in? Right, we'll get him in. No thought process. That that's my personal opinion. Upstairs was the biggest downfall of that football club over a four, a probably. Well, maybe it's going back a bit more. Seven, eight year period. Certainly, when I was there, you got the feeling upstairs played a massive part in, you know, what went on at that club. And Dick Avocat was, for me, Dick Avocat was unbelievable. He had this drive. Which sort of lifted us as players. Was it Arsenal away? We drew nil nil to stay up. Yeah, and you could just see by his reaction that that wasn't a reaction. That was a a pure reaction. That that meant something to him. Whereas if that was De Canio, it would be a completely different reaction. Do you know what I mean? And that that's why I, I respect Dick Avocat the most out of probably all the managers we had at the time because he come in in a sinking ship and you know he done ever so well and. It meant a lot to him, but the club, no, I'd, I'd, I probably was out there. Dick Avocat didn't want to come back. Mm-hmm. He'd done his job and he wanted to move, but the club pestered him that much to bring him back. By the time he come back, his heart wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. So, and you can see that he leaves two or three months down the line. That could have been someone else two or three months moving the club forward, but the decisions are just wrong. And yeah, listen, that's, that's from upstairs from my point of view. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually talking about that delay with Avocat because... I think um, he missed out on half the summer to to bring his own players mm. in, and he had to scramble at the end to to bring a couple in. I think he brought um, Yedlin in, and I think um, uh, Jimmy Lenz. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Spent a bit of money on him, but um, yeah. I mean, but, but while you were going out on loan, I mean, the, I imagine the messages go back and forwards to you and the the lads back <laughs> back at Sunderland must be like, oh, there's another one gone, and <laughs> you know, it must yeah. have just been for, for for the lads who were there all the time. I mean, it must have just been. You know, what is going on? Changing manager every two minutes. Yeah, listen, you can kind of accept a manager going, but to be at the football club, I was there three and a half years and I spent a lot of it on loan and there was Martin O'Neill, Decanio, Poyer, Advocate Allardyce. 
That is a hell of a lot of managers in five years. Where does it, how does a club move forward with, with that sort? It's it's a bit like Watford at the minute. Mm. Like they've they've had about five managers in the in a calendar year. What like it just blows my mind to be honest. And again, I don't know. I, I, that's got to come from above. That can't be a coincidence. Yeah. Similar has stuffs happened at Sunderland, but happened at Watford. The amount of managers they go to is is beyond belief. And I know the Alex Neil situation was probably a bit different, but I, I don't know exactly what's going on, but. You just kind of you kind of get that feel good factor about the place, and then he disappears. He goes to Stoke. Why? Why? Why is he going to Stoke? What? What? What's wrong for him to go to Stoke? I mean, just talking about from from your personal point of view, when you kept mm. coming back, because you you did whenever you came back, you were always in the matchday mm. squad. You were always kind of in and around the team. But you know the amount of appearances you made from the bench rather than starting eleven. Would you say mm. that when you did come back and you were fit? That you know you maybe didn't get that run of games to to kind of you know to get your eye in almost because strikers need that run of games yeah where they, they can actually get used to how the team are playing yeah um, I come back every time after loan you know not known but in the back of my mind thinking I'm gonna get back in this squad my aim is to get back in this squad I I didn't want to be going out on loan here then everywhere I didn't want I didn't sign for that. But every manager who come in without even looking at me over the course of a six weeks period, I was gone on loan. Mm. Then I come back and then I'm training and all of a sudden I'm back in the squad. So that was probably the hardest part to take. Do I do I think as oh I should have been getting more game time? No, probably not. I didn't I didn't deserve it. I had a good run of games at the back end of the season with Tacanio, you know, obviously didn't score and then I've gone and loaned to Hull. Then I come back from Hull and I'm gone and loaned to January uh, to Middlesbrough. And then I feel as though I'm getting going again. I'm scoring goals. I'm doing well. Confidence is so slowly slipping back in. Go back in pre-season, bam, gone again. There was many times I just wanted to go upstairs and say, listen, rip my contract up. But then I stopped myself because I'm saying, no, I'm a bigger person. I'll, I will get back in the squad. And the players respected me. I respected them. And that's all I kind of needed to to keep me going and you know some of them were a big help but in a, in a difficult period of my career yeah yeah well you, you did eventually leave uh, permanently in in 2016 when you when you made the move to, to Blackburn Rovers and then I think not long I think it might have been in the first year that you were there I think Tony Mowbray came in and replaced mm. on Coyle I think it was and then you 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 played for Tony Mowbray for about three years which in football terms <laughs> when you t- when you think the average manager lasts what twelve months or something like that, four three- minutes at Sunderland. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. So I mean, th- three years is a, a hell of a long time. Mm. I mean, so so I mean, h- how did you find playing for for Mowbray at Blackburn, and and actually because of that stage in your career and what came before it, mm. I mean that that spell at Blackburn m- must have been fantastic for you to to play all those games and in all those years you were there. Yeah, it was it was. Listen, I, I I'd went on loan the back end of a season, done really well again, scored a lot of goals, felt comfortable. It was almost like the Carlisle sort of feeling, you know, after... I, well, obviously it was different because it, I was leaving to, to play first-team football as a young lad at Carlisle, but I had the same feeling at Blackburn as I had at Carlisle when I went on loan, finished the season really well. And I was thinking, obviously my contract was running out with Sunderland and obviously that wasn't going to be getting renewed, so... It was an easy decision again for me to go, yeah, I want to go to Blackburn. 
And then even when I find myself at Blackburn, there's the fans are kicking off about the owners, the Venkies. Um, <laughs> Paul Lambert was in charge and two games before then the season, coming to the dressing room said, the Venkies aren't going to back me, they aren't going to give me any money, I'm leaving. So he left at the end of the season. And then you kept thinking, oh, you kind of almost question, is this because of me as well? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> is this my fault? But um, obviously, young Kyle come in and there was a big fuss because he was a he was a Burnley manager and Burnley and Blackburn are massive in East Lancashire and stuff like that. So it was a bit of carnage. But then with all that still going on, I still wanted the same for Blackburn because the fans were great with me. They took to me. I took to them. I was scoring goals again. You know, I didn't want to move all the way down the other side of the country. I'd done all that sort of stuff. So it felt like a perfect fit. And I had, how long did we have before Marbury come in? I probably had about a year Blackburn. And then obviously Tony come in. But when Tony come in to the end of the season, our form was top six. Prior to that, it was probably rock bottom on Kyle. We had two points from seven games. But he ended up keeping his job until mid-November, which I don't know how. And then Morbier come in and obviously he tried to sign me before at Sunderland, uh, when I was going to Sunderland at Middlesbrough. So it was great to have him come in and Mark Venus and and everyone like that. And, you know, we did eventually get in, end up getting relegated that season. But I think it was the best thing for the football club what happened to getting relegated. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll come back on to, to Tony Morbier when, when mm-hmm. we talk more about uh, what's going on in Sunderland now. But um, obviously when you finished up, uh, at Blackburn, it was 2020, and Phil Parkinson brought you back to Sutherland. I mean, but and, mm. and on this move, I mean, I'm interested on how that conversation with Phil Parkinson went in terms of persuading you, because the bizarre thing is, you, you kind of came in, and then you only started four games, and he brought you on from the bench 13 times. So, I mean, I, I'm wondering what that conversation was like, because it didn't seem like you got that much of a look in, to be honest. The conversation we had was not shown in how many appearances I made. It was a complete load of tosh, which which he must have given me. And I don't know why, because obviously he must have, for anyone who didn't know my background at the football club already, for him to come and sit me out and say, you know, uh, I like to play wing backs with two up front and you and big Charlie Wake have made a massive handful in this league and everything like that to come in and like you say, I didn't even know them stats, but I knew I didn't start a lot. Yeah, and that's to be fair, mate. That's why I probably chucked it in the end. I'm not gonna lie; it was nothing to do, nothing to do with the football club. I was just sick of. By that point, I was sick of managers just talking waffle, and I'd seen it before at that club, and I didn't want to see it again. So, yeah, that's probably why I end up uh, coming out of the game. I mean, that was part of the reason I asked because when you look mm. at the season before, you played 38 games in the championship, uh, and then you persuaded to come back to Sunderland in League mm. One, but you're only given four chances in the starting 11. It just wasn't meant to be, was it? Let's be honest. It just wasn't meant to be. Um, I wanted to come back. I wanted to get something out of that league course I did. You know, just to give a little bit back, I envisioned the move going completely different to the first time around. But for whatever reason, I, I just didn't end up playing. He's at Wrexham now, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it was a pretty bleak time all around for Sunderland during that Parkinson era but your decision mm. wasn't just about leaving Sunderland um, you retired altogether from from playing uh, but had that thought been at the back of your mind for a while at that point probably over the Christmas period yeah 
that started to creep in. It really did. And when Lee Johnson come in, he said he wanted to go down the younger route. It was like a bit of a breath of fresh air. To hear someone actually saying, being honest, open, which all it takes is was so refreshing. He said that he wanted to go down that route. So, you know, do you, should we cancel the contract by mutual consent? Well, yeah, that's fine. If that's how you want to think it, you're the manager. I'm happy. I respect your decision for what you've said as a man. Perfect. We'll do that then. So we sorted all that out. I get off, come back home. I'm running on the treadmill. Get a phone call, Cardiff City, wouldn't you, in the championship. So I'm thinking, right, what do I do here? Do I up stick and move again? By the mind, there's no fans moving away from me, three kids, everything like that again. You know, I'd missed a lot, a large part of their life, just little things, taking them to school and stuff like that. Do I move away again? So, you know, I had a three or four day sort of think about it. And then there was one day I was stood on the treadmill in my garage, running like a madman. And I just pressed the stop button, sat down, got in front of my agent. That's me. Done. That is me. Done. But I, I think the fact that I'd thought about it too many times, if I'd went to Cardiff or anywhere else, I'm a person who has to give 110% whether, whether I'm, I'm playing rubbish or I'm not scoring or whatever. I would like to I would like to think people say, oh, well, you did try, you you did work hard. And the fact that I couldn't even say that anymore, I knew time was up. I knew time was up. But looking back, 17 mm. years, almost 200 goals and around 600 appearances. I mean, that's a ratio of one and three. Mm. I mean, you must look back at that record with a lot of pride. There's there's massive pride. Um, if you would have told me a daft lad from Gateshead would have played 600 odd <laughs> games and scored 174 career professional goals, yeah. <laughs> I would have snapped your hand off twice, never mind once, you know what I mean? So, And I look back and I think, yeah, I've had some really great times. I've had to, I had a difficult time with Sunderland. If I didn't have that tip to uh, that tough time with Sunderland, you know, I could be sitting on over two hundred goals. Do I regret any of that? Absolutely not. No, it might sound daft. People go, "Oh, you must hate Sunderland." No, no, I don't. I don't hate <laughs> Sunderland. I don't hate the place. You know, it was just one of their moves that never worked out. And I keep, I keep trying to say to people, "Well, Torres went for fifty million to Chelsea, and it, it didn't work out." Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, um, to have them numbers on my CV is uh, is a very special feeling, and I probably didn't realise that until I've I've took a step a step back and and look back over my career, and I don't think it's something many players do when they're playing. I mean, to be fair, we were a bit of a basket case of a club during that time, but looking at the present day, uh, Sunderland take mm. on Swansea City this weekend. And uh, you made over 50 appearances uh, for both clubs. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll start with a quick look at Swansea. It's their fifth season in the Championship after being relegated from the Premier League. Uh, last season, they finished down in 15th, which from yeah. the outside um, looked like that came as a bit of a shock for them, Yeah. Um, especially after those two consecutive seasons finishing in the playoffs. Um, and they've got Russell Martin in charge now. I mean, he's known for, for playing good football, but... I mean, do you think Swansea is still suffering from part and company with Steve Cooper? I, I do, yeah. I think if you look where Nottingham Forest gone and Swansea have gone, I think Steve Cooper was was a massive loss loss to the football club at the time. Yeah, yeah, and, and not knowing really where, where kind of Swansea are at the, at the minute, but yeah. because obviously, it. I mean, I'm not sure 
if the aim for Swansea is actually to get promotion or if it's to give Russell Martin a bit of time to actually rebuild the team and kind of kind of build the squad as he wants for for a couple of years. Yeah, I think I think personally it's a, a rebuild massively. Um, I don't think we'll make the playoffs this year. I think uh, the the way past that now. I think it's a bit of a rebuild uh, structure going on at the football club, and if that's the case, hopefully he gets the time to to do what he has to do. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of Sunderland, you know, obviously, you know, we're back in the the championship, mm. which bizarrely feels like the big time after after four years in in League One yeah. playing these big clubs again. But I mean, you've played with with, with Tony Mowbray uh, under yeah. Tony Mowbray for a good few years. I mean. You know, after that, like you said earlier on, it was a big shock with Alex Neil deciding to go to Stoke. Yeah, I mean, has it surprised you how well Tony Mowbray's just settled in to the side and kind of took took the reins as he has? No, not at all. I think if you look, Sunderland's quite a, a young squad, and that is perfect for Tony Mowbray. I think if you look at the players he's developed over the years, James Madison, the Jacob Murphy brothers, Jacob Murphy, and people like that at Coventry, Adam Armstrong, Ben Barrington. You know, there's a lot of young players he's sort of got a history with where he, he brings them on. So I think that would be the case at Sunderland. Um, my only worry was if, because of Alex Neal doing so well and he went in there and started slowly, the fans may get in his back early. But I personally think he's a he's the right man for the job. If Blackburn were, were a club in turmoil when he come in and he left the club in a you know, borderline playoff contenders uh, season in, season out. So I think given time, you know, given given the chance to get his his blueprint into the team, I think he could be very successful at Sunderland. And obviously with all your experience at Tony Mowbray, you've just mentioned a blueprint. What what should we expect from that? What what do you think that's gonna look like? He likes fast, dynamic players. Obviously the Ross Stewart injury is massive for for the football club at the minute, how well he's done and you know, I know he's a big lad and he scores goals, but he, he's he's got a bit of pace about him as well. With the likes of a Jack Clark, a Patrick Roberts and players like that coming in off the line. I think, you know, you could see an exciting brand of football. Is it always going to be an exciting brand of football? No, because in the Championship you have to go away and probably grind out a result two or three times a season. But I just think if he's given time, I've always thought he's signed well. I've always thought he's brought younger players on. You know, I was I was probably a bit of a sinking ship when he come in at Blackburn, and you know I end up going on to get Player of the Year and Players Player of the Year. So I do I do think he has a lot of good traits that could be really successful for Sunderland Football Club. Yeah, is is he quite popular with the players he manages? Because it's hard to tell whether Mowbray is a you know really kind of tough in the dressing room or he's an arm round the shoulder. <laughs> no, he's got a bit of both to be honest. Um, he's a big family man, so when when players need time, you know, for family situations. That will happen. He he will gladly let the players go and, and do whatever. But you know, when you need a kick up the backside, he's he can be a big angry man. To be honest, in there, uh, you know, he, uh. he, he towered above me. Um, and he's a thick set lad. Do you know what I mean? So, I think he's got a bit of both. I th- I do think he's got a lot of qualities. Like I say, which could be which could be an asset to Sunderland and and the younger players coming through. Yeah. Do 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 you think he's a he's a good fit for Sunderland? I hope so. I really hope so. It, it, it's good. It's all good and well saying, "No, oh, he's he's got this, he's got that." But we all know how football works, and, and you know, I just I think it's vital. He's had a kind of a good start because I I did fear if he'd come in and results didn't go his way, there could be an early backlash, and that hasn't been the case. So, fingers crossed, the, the football club have a great season this year. 
Uh, and if it's not playoffs or anything like that this year, then hopefully they, they, they continue to progress each, each year. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it's still early days this season. Yeah. But, I mean, do you think, do you expect Sunderland and Swansea to be on the fringes of the playoffs or maybe a bit further down in mid-table by the end of the season? I mean, what, what do you think is a fair expectation for the two clubs? I think if Sunderland, I think Swansea won't get in the playoffs, personally, no. They do play a possession-based game, but, you know, that can be the Achilles heel uh, quite a lot by overplaying around the back and, and getting punished, I think. Um I think Swansea's a work in progress. I think that's another couple of seasons away before, you know, they're challenging. Sunderland have every opportunity only because I feel as though at the championship this year, a lot everyone's beaten everyone. I looked at the Blackburn fixes the other day that what was it? The won three, lost three, then they played Blackpool away, won, and they were two points off top. And I couldn't yeah. I couldn't get my head around it. So I just feel as though there's an opportunity for someone to go under the radar a bit and, you know, come the end of the season, find themselves in the playoffs and you know, that could, that could quite easily be Sunderland um, and it could quite easily be a lot of teams, to be honest, because the the championship, if you, is very inconsistent league, you need, if the the, the team with the most con- consistent results, whether that's draws and, you know, and obviously wins, but if you can turn them losses into draws, I think you've got a right chance of getting in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, there's only a point between the two sides at the moment. So, there you, you know, with yeah. three three points is huge. I mean, I was, I was looking at Swansea's home record this season. They've lost three out of the six. Um, Sunderland's yeah. won three out of six on the road. So, I mean, is this one just a toss of the coin? Who, who turns up? He'll probably end up with draw, one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, to, to be honest, I actually fancy Sunderland to win, to be honest. I really do. I just think the top end of the pitch, you know, the I think if Sunderland can press and be aggressive, they could catch Swansea out the way the the risks they take. I think that's probably the approach to have, is to get right after them, you know, catch them out and score a goal. And once I, I kind of get that fragile feel about Swansea at the minute. Once they concede one, you know, a couple could follow. So I think the first goal is going to be vitally important. Mm, yeah, well. Um... I'm hoping even without a striker. I'm not sure if Alice Sims might might make it, but I'm um, hoping without yeah, a striker we can get it. But you mentioned you mentioned throughout that um, actually you do get this, to watch a lot of football. You've been back to the stadium late in the academy. I mean, have you, have you been yeah. recently? Have you, have you actually watched this side this season? I've watched the side this season, yeah. I was at the academy. I was watching the under-18s against Newcastle under-18s. I actually beat them 3-1. But I'll be I'll be getting to another home game in the in the next few weeks, hopefully. And you know, I'll probably be there three or four times throughout the, the season, you know, hoping the lads do really well. Yeah. I mean what just uh, just briefly, what what's your thoughts on this this young side that we seem to be building? Because I mean, if you'd talked to me twelve years ago and said we were going to be signing eighteen year olds from Costa Rica, I would have Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, mate, he's started really well, hasn't he? And then he's obviously he's went away on international duty and scored a couple of goals. So again, going back to to Morbury, I think the obviously the way the club look as though it's going with younger players and you know energetic players, probably quick players and stuff. Like that, I think he is the right man for the job. Just hopefully he's there long enough. He gets enough time from above to really put his blueprint on it and. Sunderland's due a manager where he's there for two or three years, you know, if things are going obviously well, uh, of course, you know, but you, you kind of want to see a natural progression, don't you? Um, you know, wherever he's finished, wherever Sunderland finished this season, next season, he will be higher and and higher again. So I just hope, I hope he's the man 
to get the time because I think he's certainly proven that at Blackburn where the club was, you know, with the owners, the fans, everything that was going on, he could be the man to do the same job at Sunderland. Yeah, well, stability and progression aren't words you necessarily um, no. <laughs> relate, no. relate to Sunderland. But... I can't believe I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a pr- pretty exciting time with, with the team we've got at the moment and uh, yeah. great to see you uh, if you do come back to the place to visit the stadium alike. It'd be great yeah, to see I you will around. Be, I will be. But on that note, Danny, we just really appreciate your time and it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you, mate. No problem at all. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again, Danny. And uh, thanks again to everyone listening. Keep an eye out on the website at Rocker Report for all the latest ahead of our trip to Swansea City and check out all the usual places for the next pod that should drop very soon. But from us, bye for now. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.